thank you for tuning in today and welcome back to another episode of The Source. I'm your host, San Raza. And today I'll be talking to Israeli politician and member of the Israeli parliament, Dr. Afar Kassif. Dr. Afar is also a lecturer of politics and philosophy at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem and received his PhD in the London School of Economics and postdoctorate at the Columbia University. Dr. Afar, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Before diving into the most recent developments, I would like to begin with your situation. In October, an Israeli Parliament Ethics Committee suspended you for 45 days after you criticized Israel's assault on Gaza. This came at a time when the Israeli government arrested more than 100 Israeli citizens over social media posts that were supporting Palestinians in Gaza, and it is reported that at least 70 Israeli university students faced suspension or some form of disciplinary action for posting pro-Palestinian content online. Can you provide some details about your situation and then talk about the wider crackdown that is happening in Israel? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm uh, at the moment in uh, South America. Uh, actually, uh, a couple of days before the massacre uh, committed by uh, Hamas, I uh, uh, arrived in uh, Mexico City to participate in a seminar of uh, socialist, communist and workers' parties. So, uh, and when the massacre took place, I was there. And then I couldn't get back. Uh, primarily because there were no flights to Israel and some other stuff. So I moved to South America where my wife's family lives and I'm still here. I intend to go back to Israel uh, hopefully soon. Uh, but uh, once I was suspended, so uh, I couldn't participate in uh, Knesset uh, activities anyway. So I've been here. Uh, although, of course, I would prefer to be back home, but uh, that's the situation. And it has to do uh, with uh, your uh, question, the political important question, you know, regarding the persecution of opposition voices in, in Israel. And uh, how is the crackdown? Is it our civil liberties in danger at the moment and our dissidents and activists that are standing sure. up against facing some sort of uh, um, crackdown from the government? Absolutely. Look, uh, allow me to put it in the right talk context. I guess that uh, your followers and those who uh, are watching us uh, know that uh, just before the massacre of 7th of October and the aftermath, uh, the government of Israel, which I must say is a fascist government, and the... Uh, they tried to pursue a coup d'etat. Of course, uh, it was uh, sugar-coated uh, under the term uh, judicial reform, but that was not a judicial reform. That was a coup uh, of the government with the intention of uh, eliminating the uh, uh, very few democratic components that still exist there. And there aren't too many. They want to eliminate it altogether. Now, they failed primarily because of the protest. So they just used the terrible, monstrous carnage that Hamas uh, committed as an excuse to uh, uh, pursue with the very same ends they had uh, when they uh, tried to uh, carry out, out the, the coup. So on top of the massacre that Israel is responsible for in Gaza, and there's no other way to describe it, 
I mean, it, 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 we must be very cautious. And so allow me to add some words. There's no dichotomy in the sense that if you oppose the terrible Hamas carnage, and we must, of course, oppose, then you, by definition, support the massacre that Israel carries out against the Palestinian innocent civilians in Gaza, and I emphasize innocent civilians. And the, and the other way around, we, if you oppose the uh, massacre that Israel is responsible for, that the assault that Israel carries out against Gaza, it doesn't mean that you support the Hamas or its own carnage. In that sense, I think that uh, too many governments in the world, including the, the German one, is, uh, is guilty in, uh, in bloodshed because they allow it under the uh, excuse of self-defense of Israel. This is not self-defense. And, uh, and uh, part of what is the government of Israel has been doing since the 7th of October, on top of the massacre and the war crimes in Gaza themselves, is, of course, using it as a smokescreen to ethni ethnically cleanse the Palestinians in the West Bank, to wage a, a war against uh, democratic Jews and leftists and the Palestinian citizens within Israel. And if we have the time, I, you know, can uh, detail it. And part of it, of course, it's turning Israel into a full-fledged fascist dictatorship by partly what you quoted before, persecuting people who raise a, 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 an opposition voice for calling for ceasefire, for exchange of prisoners and release of hostages, for uh, stopping the war, for and eventually for ending the occupation and reach a just peace, which is the interest of all involved, of everybody involved. It is primarily a Palestinian interest, but it is also an Israeli interest. Security for Israel, and I and my companions, Palestinians and Jews alike, we support security of Israel. We are presented as if we were anti-Israeli. The only co the only factor that now behaves against uh, or uh, uh, executes policy against Israel and the Israelis is the government. So I call upon the German government and the German society. If you really want to support Israel, you must be against the war and against the government because the government, the fascist government of Netanyahu, Ben Gvir, and the other thugs. They are the one who pose the Israeli society under a terrible risk. You talked about uh, this government trying to usurp the independence of the judiciary and putting the executive in the power. But I would like to further contextualize this conflict, uh, which the mainstream media in Germany is failing to undertake. Can you tell us about the makeup of this government? Uh, what kind of figures they are? And secondly, can you provide an overview, overview of how this government, once it came into power in 2022, handled the situation in Gaza and the Vance Bank? Everybody knows that Netanyahu is charged in three very, very really serious criminal charges. The only thing that drives Netanyahu is his own personal interest to stay out of prison. That's the only, not the main, the only thing that uh, drives him. I must say that Netanyahu as a person uh, is a psychopath. Even Yitzhak Shamir, who was prime minister of the Likud, 
and he was much more to the right than uh, ideologically speaking than Netanyahu. He said 35 years ago that Netanyahu is dangerous to Israel, that Netanyahu thinks only about his own interests. It was many years before the criminal charges. But, on, but now when you add the criminal charges to this psychopathic character of Netanyahu, it, it's even more inter, uh, uh, dangerous. So why is it so important to talk about the personal issues of Netanyahu? Because the, the, when he uh, composed the current government and coalition, he added the most fanatic, messianic, racist figures in Israeli politics. People who some of them were uh, convicted in supporting Jewish terrorism like Ben Gvir, like Smotrich, who was uh, was not charged for strange reasons, but he was supposed to be charged, uh, and he was caught by the Shin Bet, the, the, the Secret Service, during the disengagement plan about 20 years ago, he was caught with, with a huge amount of fuel on his uh, way to commit a, a, you know, a, a terrorist uh, attack. So those are the, the people who control the government. Why did Netanyahu uh, form a government with those bigots? And why, even more importantly, Netanyahu turned the Likud party, which was a very you know acclaimed, uh, um, of course, this is not my cup of tea to say the least, but never was. But the Likud party was <laughs> an ideological throughout the years, again, opposed the, the Likud party, its ideology, politics, uh, you know, all the time. But still it was a, an ideological party, and it was a, a paramount party in the Israeli politics, even when it was in the opposition before the first time they won the elections in 1977. Netanyahu turned the Likud into a, a Bibist, you know, the term Bibism or Bibist, which is following the nickname of Netanyahu. It, it turned the Likud into a Bibist cult. People, ex-people of the Likud say so. Many ex-ministers and members of the Knesset that were throughout the years in the Likud say so. There's no Likud but the title. Why is it so important? Because within the Likud, Netanyahu kicked out the more serious, profound ideological figures and he endorsed and paved the way into a, a, a major positions within the Likud, people who are, who are, who are not different from Ben Gvir and Smotrich. So it's wrong to look only at the so-called the Zionist, uh, the religious Zionism party as fascists and even wars. It's true they are, but within the Likud, there is a majority now at the Knesset that ideologically speaking, if they have an ideology, because some of them are simply opportunists, but if we talk, if we refer to the ideological ones, they are much closer to the racial racist. And I'm talking about a real belief in racial theory that Germany knows from its history quite well. I'm, I'm talking about people who really believe in Jewish supremacy. <clears throat> so within the Likud are many like that. Now, 
the reason that Netanyahu did that in order to hold the power in his hands. He didn't want uh, people like Benny Begin, for instance, or Michael Eitan, or Dan Meridor, again, people with whom I have huge debates, disagreements, but they, I cannot ignore the fact that they were honest and serious people. That, by the way, you can actually uh, disagree and debate with them. Something you cannot say about the vast majority of the Likud people today. So why did he kick them out and pave the way to the, really the scum of the earth? Because that's the way he could keep the power in his hands. He turned the Likud into a personal beast cult. Now he formed this government too with those bigots because the only thing he's interested about is interested in is to be a prime minister and distance himself for the danger for him of being imprisoned. So in that sense, he's ready to do whatever, you know, he feels that he can get something. He is the beneficiary, not the Israeli society. He's the main enemy of Israel now. He and his government. Everything, look, look at the terrible ma uh, massacre that Hamas committed. Who's responsible for that? Not who is the guilty. The guilty is really on, the, on Hamas. They are the murderers who did it. But the responsibility in negligence and in creating the circumstances that enabled this terrible carnage to occur is Netanyahu and his government. I'll give you a few examples. First of all, the intelligence within the Israeli army warned Netanyahu already in March, we are talking about nine months ago, that if he continued, if the government continued with the coup, with the so-called judicial reform, Hamas, like others, Hezbollah, Iran and others, but Hamas in our case, is going to use it against Israel. The intelligence within the Israeli army warned Netanyahu that the continuation in this coup, uh, uh, putting Israel on a, on a serious risk and danger, he didn't want to listen. On the eve, I remember that I was there, on the eve of the vote, on the so-called so reasonableness clause, which is a massive change in the judicial system uh, by law, which, you know, lower the, uh, uh, the independence and the possibility of the, of the court to rule against decisions taken by the government. On the eve of the vote on this law, uh, the chief of staff, of the Israeli army with some other generals came urgently to the Knesset, something that doesn't happen very often, if ever, to talk personally to Netanyahu, to tell him, stop, it's going to put Israel at risk. He refused to see them. He refused to meet them. Now, if you, I don't remember exactly how much time before the massacre itself, there were, third, I think there were 34, 35, battalions of the Israeli army on the uh, frontier between Gaza Strip and Israel. Netanyahu moved 
נתניהו, of course, is the head of the snake, but the government as a whole. But Netanyahu moved 32 battalions from there to, to the West Bank. He left only two or three battalions at the frontier with Gaza. Why did he do that? In order to defend the illegal settlements and the pogroms of the settlers, the pogroms they commit on a daily basis against innocent Palestinians, especially shepherds. This is part of the ethnic cleansing that goes on in the West Bank. So even Hamas terrorists that were uh, uh, caught uh, during and after the massacre and now are interrogated, some of it was published. Some of them said they were in shock. They were surprised that when they cut the fence and ant invaded Israel, no one was there to wait for them. By the way, in the kibbutzim, at the frontier with uh, Gaza Strip, in each and every kibbutz, there is a, a, a security, local security, that's supposed to be armed. They took the government, again, Netanyahu was the head of the government, as the prime minister. They took most of the arms from those groups that were supposed to secure the kibbutzim in order to what? To give them to, to settlers in the West Bank. Now, this is just the tip of the iceberg, not only to prove that the government of Israel and Netanyahu personally are responsible for the massacre and should have gone home, if not to, uh, uh, to prison, five weeks ago. It is also to explain and to prove that the incentive of Netanyahu in per personally and of his and government, their motivation, has nothing to do with the well-being or security of the Israelis or the state of Israel. Only the security and well-being of themselves and their close ones, that is the five percent of the population who are, which are the settlers. This is something the world has to know because once they, and in, especially the government of Germany, because we you are talking to me from Germany, uh, must understand As long as you support the government of Israel, you harm the Israelis. You act against the interest of the state of Israel. If you really, if you are really a friend of the Israelis in the state of Israel, you must act against the Israeli government that puts all of us at risk. That's the right thing. Can you also talk about the policies of the Netanyahu administration once it came to power again in 2022? towards the Gaza um, uh, and also uh, the West Bank? Uh, first of all, it's not, it's not only this government. Netanyahu throughout the years, and as you know, unfortunately, Netanyahu is a, a prime minister. In the last 28 years, Netanyahu has been prime minister most of the time. There were just, you know, here and there some changes, Sharon, Olmert, Barak. But for a short time, relatively, most of those years, Netanyahu was a, a prime minister a, or a minister of finance, you know, under uh, Sharon. Uh, and why do I say that? Because since Netanyahu was a prime minister, since uh, 2007, I think, but maybe I, I don't remember the exact year, uh, he adopted the policy of strengthening Hamas uh, in Gaza 
and weakening the Palestinian authority in the West Bank. And why he said so explicitly, it's not interpretation of mine. In 2019, in a convention of the Likud party, he said so explicitly, and I quote more or less, he said, those who oppose the establishment of a Palestinian state must endorse and strengthen Hamas and weaken the Palestinian authority. What is the rationale? Very simple. First of all, divide and rule. If you divide the Palestinians and you have one, the West Bank, in the West Bank, it's under occupation, of course, but at least in part, you have the Palestinian Authority and in Gaza, the Hamas. And let's, let us not forget that the Hamas, you know, actually Hamas made a coup against the Palestinian Authority to control by a kind of a, a, a coup. In Gaza, Israel wanted that for the very same reason that Netanyahu said. Why? Because once there are two different, even, even you know, conflicting uh, authorities in the West Bank and in Gaza, you can say to the world, there's no one to, to talk to about Palestinian state. Let us, let us assume that we talk to Palestinian authority. The Hamas in Gaza will never accept that and vice versa. So they wanted this, this divide and rules uh, thing. Secondly, which is uh, which leads us to what actually Netanyahu has been doing, not just saying. Uh, Hamas is well known as a fanatic organization. So once you strengthen it, you can say that there's no one to, to, to talk to. There's no uh, look at the Hamas, look at what's going on. They are fanatics, there's no one to speak to, no one to talk to. And uh, so Netanyahu as a prime minister continuously for many years actually transferred huge amount of money, dollars, from Qatar to Hamas. Everybody knows it. Nobody denies it. Netanyahu doesn't deny it. This was the policy. They wanted strong Hamas. Now we are paying for that. By the way, 30 years ago and more, when Rabin was prime minister or minister of defense under Shamir, I don't remember, Dan Kretzer, that later on was the ambassador of the United States to Egypt and afterwards into Israel, warned Israel 30 years ago and more. He said, because Israel supported Hamas even then, they, they thought, they thought like any colonialist power, that if they strengthen the alternative to the national organization, which is the PLO, then they can continue and manage the occupation. This is a key uh, term, you know, managing the occupation instead of solving it or ending it, uh, which led all of the, most of the Israelis and the world astray, as we saw it recently. 30 years ago, already Dan Kertzer, warned the Israeli government that they were doing a terrible mistake, that everybody is going to, to pay a huge price for that. Unfortunately, he was right. Though I must say that the United States bear a lot of responsibility for that, although he said so as an American pregoal for an official. Anyway, so that's the policy of this government and all the gov all governments of Netanyahu, strengthening Hamas in Gaza, weakening the uh, Palestinian Authority in the West Bank, 
managing the, the, the occupation and uh, worsening the occupation. If I may add another sentence, in the last, uh, under this government, though it, it began in, in, the, in the government before, but under this government, there is an ongoing, before the massacre, now it's worse, an ongoing ethnic cleansing of Palestinians in the West Bank. When Uker is out practically this ethnic cleansing, the settlers, they are allowed to do what they like. They are armed. They live in illegal settlements according to the international law. And many of them, the worst of them, live in so-called illegal outposts, which are illegal even according to the Israeli law. But this, this government ordered the military not to touch those outposts. So actually the government of Israel violates the law on a daily basis. I personally visited two communities of shepherds in the West Bank in the Jordan Valley just a week before the massacre. And I saw there good people, hardworking people, never harmed anyone are interested in normal lives with no occupation, with no uh, uh, persecution, with, not with no harassment by the settlers or the uh, 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 occupation forces, under which, under uh, whose auspices, the, the settlers uh, act uh, and carry out their crimes. <laughs> and I saw communities, four communities by then were expelled from the lands because of those pogroms and harassment of the of the settlements, settlers, a, a, a vicious racist settlers, armed ones under the auspices of the occupation forces. And now it's already, if I remember correctly, 14 or 16 communities who were expelled. We are talking about an area doubled in Tel Aviv that was ethnically cleansed. Where is the world? Where is Germany? Germany bears guilt, and justly so, for what they did 90 years ago to the Jews, including my family. But they are going to regret 90 years from now that they did the same or allowed, not the same, but allowed crimes against humanity, against the Palestinians. That is going to be too late. You, you have the responsibility to stop it now. You can Let's look at some recent developments uh, surrounding this conflict. Um, on October 7th, uh, on the day Hamas and the Islamic Jihad uh, carried out a surprise attack on Israel, they took around 239 hostages that included military personnel, civilians and foreign nationals. After initially rejecting the ceasefire for hostage deal, the Israeli government yesterday agreed to deal with Hamas. Hamas agreed to release 50 women and children for a four-day truce and also announced that Israel will be releasing 150 Palestinian women and children from Israeli jails that some call not prisoners but hostages as well and also allow hundreds of trucks carrying humanitarian medical fuel aid um, and a, a lot of other goods that will be allowed into Gaza. Hezbollah also announced that it will be joining the ceasefire which, will, which took effect earlier today. This is a two-part question. Firstly, what is the significance of this development? And secondly, why did it take for Israel so long to come to an agreement with Hamas? Uh, 
I begin with the second question. First of all, you know, it's quite natural that uh, when there are negotiations, doesn't matter right now between whom, uh, it takes time normally. Uh, so, but there's another issue which I would like to raise is that, and it goes back to what I said in the very beginning of our chat, that Netanyahu is interested in his own well-being and good, and that's it. Netanyahu opposed this kind of deal. I don't like the term deal, but I use it because I cannot find at the moment a better one. The reason I don't like the term deal is because I think people, hum, human beings, can, should not be uh, referred to or, or regarded as uh, commodities, you know, and we talk about deals. It seems we refer to them as commodities, which I really, you know, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I have a grudge against it, but I use it for the sake of our uh, conversation. But it was important for me to raise the reservations. Uh, anyway, so uh, Netanyahu was not interested and opposed this deal because he doesn't care about the well-being and lives of the hostages. He doesn't care. And as long as he thought that the public in Israel doesn't support such a deal, as it were, so he didn't uh, want to uh, to execute it. Once he began to understand, following the polls, following the uh, uh, demonstrations, uh, the meeting, which were uh, very not only hurtful but uh, uh, disgusting, disgusting meetings with uh, the uh, families of the hostages, and I'm and I'm saying disgusting because of the attitude of Netanyahu and his uh, and some other ministers. Who, who behaved in such a, a, a humiliating, inhumane way to the poor families of the hostages. They go through hell, and on top of that hell, Netanyahu and his thugs added more. So more fire to the infierno. And so in that sense, uh, once Netanyahu thought or began to understand that the majority in Israel supports such a deal, he changed his mind. Again, because he's only interested in his own good. So, but it took time. This is part of the prolonged time that it took to reach this deal. There are many things behind the scene that I, we don't know. So I guess this is part of the, you know, the time that it took. Uh, as I said before, negotiations, there are many of them everywhere are uh, implicit or, are, you know, uh, we don't know behind what's going on exactly behind the scene. Uh, I'm sure that Hamas uh, has a, a lot of uh, responsibility for the ongoing time without releasing the hostages. But as I said, Israel, as far as Israel is concerned, the government of Israel is concerned, uh, the time it took is mainly because of the interests of those who are involved, primarily Netanyahu, but not only. Uh, the, old, uh, the, the old gang entitled uh, the government of Israel as its own narrow interest, which is, again, not the security and not the well-being of, of the Israelis in general and of the hostages in particular. That's the reason why it took so much time, in my view. On November 19, Finance Minister of Israel, Bezalel Smotrich, stated, and I quote him here, quote, I welcome the initiative of the voluntary immigration of Gaza Arabs to countries around the world. 
This is the right humanitarian solution for the residents of Gaza and the entire region after 75 years of refugees, poverty and danger. The state of Israel will no longer be able to accept the existence of an independent entity in Gaza." Unquote. Given this statement, what do you think Israel's plans are in Gaza? Where will 2.2 million uh, Palestinian civilians go to? Look, we began our conversation, you know, in, uh, talking about my suspension. And by the way, in the meantime, another member of my party, the Communist Party, a member of the Knesset, Aida Tumasliman, my friend, was also suspended for two months uh, for, like myself, for talking about, for, for calling to ceasefire, for uh, accusing the government of Israel in war crimes and in massacre, for, only for that, to show the pers that the persecution is many of, uh, of, so to speak, common people, but uh, of uh, members of the Knesset as well. This is part of the dictatorial process that Israel is going through. But I mention it because it's totally legitimate in Israel to call for elimination of the Palestinians. Ministers and members of the Knesset and rabbis, and of course, again, quote-unquote, common people, call for elimination of the Palestinians in Gaza. The vice president, the, sorry, the, the vice speaker of the Knesset, actually a couple of days ago, tweeted calling to burn down Gaza. This is a Nazi vocabulary. They, are, they, they can do what they, they just go on. In the public discourse in Israel, this is legitimate. So what you refer to, there is an intelligence of the intelligence office. They published, it's unclassified, we can speak about it freely. They published a document that was published around the world a few weeks ago, a detailed plan of how to expel, to transfer, to ethnically cleanse the Gaza Strip from its indigenous Palestinian people. And it goes on. The world doesn't say anything. A minister just uh, to a couple of weeks ago called to drop an atomic bomb on Gaza. You can hear this language for ministers and, uh, and uh, members of the Knesset and, and social figures and celebs, as it were, all the time. So <clears throat> I'm really afraid that something like that, if the international community doesn't intervene and stop this madness, it may, it may come true. It may. Look what's going on. There is a ongoing massacre in Gaza. According to the information I have, and I want to be very cautious here because maybe this is not accurate, but I guess this is the general, the general picture is more or less like that. There are about 14,000 dead in the Gaza, in Gaza Strip at the moment. The vast majority, more than 70% are innocent civilians. More than 5,000 are children. The people who are, who are still alive are, are running out of water, if there is any, food, medicine. According to what was published a couple of days ago, the, no hospital is functioning at the moment. All the hospitals in Gaza Strip either were bombarded totally or just out of, uh, of uh, order cannot supply any treatment. Already a few weeks ago, 
we heard and read about surgeries that were uh, 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 go, were going on under the light of the, of uh, mobile phones, and and this is just the tip of the iceberg. So if Israel can do such crimes, why uh, it cannot uh, continue and uh, with the ethnic cleansing plan? So I urge the uh, international community, and again, especially the government of Germany, uh, <clears throat> do something to stop it. And I have to emphasize, this is first and foremost a humanistic cry. I regarding, I'm regarding myself as a humanistic, to, in the sense of seeing the life and well-being of all human beings as the prior value. I don't care about the origins of a person, one's gender or sex or or, 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 or political beliefs or religion or whatever, or, na or nationality. For me, human beings are the, the prior value, the supreme value. So my cry is out of humanistic, first of all, and first and foremost, humanistic stance. But it is also an Israeli cry, and a Jewish one. Because in my view, this is also the interest of Israelis and Israel. Of course, it is. it goes without saying that it is the interest of the Palestinians. And as I said, to, be, to start with, that it is an interest of, a hum, of everyone who considers oneself as a humanistic, but it is also the interest of Israel. Everyone who wants to save Israel from the government of Israel must do everything, not only to prevent this terrible crime against humanity of transfer, but also to reach a real ceasefire, not a pause, a ceasefire totally, a withdrawal of all Israeli uh, uh, forces from the Gaza Strip, and for the sake of both peoples to begin a real process towards ending the occupation and reaching a just peace. This is the interest of everybody who is involved, Palestinians and Israelis alike, Arabs and Jews, everybody. Do something. What do you think the long-term implications on Israel will be if it continues this, till, uh, continues this war? Because it said this war could take years. Um, according to Benjamin Netanyahu, what will be the ramifications on it domestically, internationally, and will the state of Israel be able to overcome all of the hardships that will come with it? Look, we, uh, we, are, we, are, we all remember what happened in 1982 when Israel invaded Lebanon uh, and stayed there almost 20 years. The death toll was horrific uh, of Lebanese of course, but also of Israeli soldiers who were killed there uh, almost on a daily basis throughout the 20 years. And eventually, Israel had to, uh, you know, withdraw from, withdraw from Lebanon. Uh, doesn't matter at the moment if it was too late, too little, I do not refer to that. But in the, in, I'm afraid that this, a, a similar scenario, we may step into such a terrible similar scenario in Gaza. Because, you know, there is this cliche that you can know, you know how you get into a war, you never know how you get out of it. Perhaps it is a cliche, but that doesn't turn it into a false a, a statement. So 
uh, even when I'm looking from the eyes of the Israeli army and government, and obviously I'm, I'm, I am an Israeli and I am interested in the well-being of my, my co-patriots and my state and my country, uh, uh, on top of the crimes that it involves uh, crimes against uh, war crimes, crimes against humanity vis-a-vis -vis the Palestinians in Gaza, it also it, it is also terribly dangerous <coughs> for Israel and the Israelis. Now, also economically, we already begin to see the cracks and begin to see the crisis, the economic crisis that is stepping towards us. And, uh, and especially if we refer to the economic uh, opinion of this government, which is extremely rightist as well. This government is not only, like I said before, a fascist government, a rightist government vis-a-vis -vis the Palestinians or the civil rights, etc., or, uh, or in, in its uh, anti-democratic uh, uh, activities. It is also extremely rightist as far as the social and economic questions are concerned. So, uh, and you can see that as far as specifically Smotrich as the, minister, the finance minister is concerned, he doesn't understand anything about economy, even the professionals within the ministry say so. And uh, But I, I put it aside for, uh, for a while. Uh, of course, the investment, economically speaking, investment in this world, in arms, etc., that's going to come at the expense of something it it's already it's already there who's the first who is the first one uh, who's going to pay the price the weakest classes women arab citizens the so-called periphery oriental jews uh, uh, workers the working class they are the, the small businesses. They are the ones who are going to pay the main price. That's not going to harm the settlers. That's not going to harm the ultra-millionaire Netanyahu and his family, or some of his ministers who are immensely rich. It's going to cause a huge damage to the most needy ones, and including the, as far as I remember, a quarter million refugees within Israel, because let us not forget that uh, besides the terrible uh, question of refugees in Gaza and in the West Bank, given the massacre of Hamas and following it, about 200,000 Israelis are now refugees because they cannot get back to their uh, houses and hometown, uh, hometowns uh, or villages in the south of Israel. And there are also thousands and thousands of refugees in the north that are that were expelled from there. They had to flee their houses because of the uh, confrontation with uh, Hezbollah. Who's going to pay for that? Uh, at the moment, by the way, the state disappeared. The state still <clears throat> the budget and the the uh, the behavior of the government is for the benefit of the settlers and the ultra orthodox. But those who need the, the, the support of the state, especially those refugees I refer to, they get nothing or almost nothing. And as long as the war goes on, on top of what I said before, 
they are not going to get any support from the state. That's going to lead to a total collapse of the Israeli society. And I do not want that to happen. I'm accused very often by the rightists in Israel as being anti-Israeli. I'm not anti-Israeli. I think that our opinion, what we've been saying for ages has been proved right. That's one thing. And secondly, everything we oppose to or support is, uh, is for the beneficiary of the of Israelis. And that's part of the situation. The government is an enemy of the Israeli state and people because it does everything to harm them. In order they sacrifice the vast majority of Israelis on the altar of fanaticism, messianism, and bigotry. To my last question, according to our observation, Western media outlets, especially in Germany, when they invite experts to speak on Gaza and Israel, it mostly includes voices that support Israel's assault on Gaza, whether they are analysts, politicians, or from the Israeli army. Critics or dissidents from Israel, or even voices from Palestine, are rarely, if at all, given a platform. How has your experience been, firstly, in terms of the media in Israel, and secondly, has any leading media institution from Germany, US, UK invited you thus far to provide your perspective? As to the second question, uh, uh, no one uh, from the so-called conventional mainstream media invited me. Uh, in, in Europe, I mean, in the United States, I was interviewed. Uh, I was interviewed by CNN and uh, Al Jazeera, uh, BBC, uh, Russia Today, and some uh, and, and some uh, uh, you know uh, podcasts, etc., etc. Uh, I was not by mainstream uh, other mainstream uh, uh, media. Uh, in Germany, you are the first one that uh, actually uh, you know interviews me. Uh, as to the first question, I said that before, referred to it before. I think that this is, a, first of all, it's anti-democratic because a, a real democratic uh, society, I wouldn't like to say even state, state is a specific apparatus. Society is something wider. It includes the state as an apparatus, as institutions, but, uh, but it also includes public and etc in civil society uh, organizations etc a democratic society is not only a society in which the state uh, or in which there are elections and uh, of course basic liberties etc it must be pluralistic and pluralism means that way that debates should be come to the fore now of course in my view this is a huge question. In my view, uh, of course, there are margins or there are limits. For instance, I think that racists uh, or chauvinists should not get a, the, the chance to express their malicious, sick views. But apart from that, I think that everybody is entitled to not only to express oneself, but to be exposed to alternatives. Otherwise, how can we really seriously and rationally form our own views? We are supposed as rational creatures to form our views upon knowledge or upon information. And if some of the information is blocked, especially if it is blocked by the 
market apparatus or the state apparatus. So then we reach what perhaps, you know, uh, something that a, a German scholar published and uh, entitled The Spiral of Silence, Elizabeth Neumann. I think it was in the late, in the early 70s that she published this uh, uh, text uh, in which she explained in length how the media create not only reflects public opinion, but uh, more, more so uh, forms public opinion. So it is anti-democratic what you said before, and I'm aware of that. I lamented that even among the leftists, and by Linkepoor, for instance, they even voted, for instance, to outlaw BDS. It doesn't matter what I think about BDS. I may agree with them, I may oppose them, but they have the right to express themselves. Now it's illegal. And by Linke even supported this. That's a shame. Not a shame. That's a that that's a something that uh, you know, not only anti-democratic, uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry, this is outrageous. So, uh, <clears throat> voices like myself, and there are thousands like that in Israel as well, thousands of Jews as well, not only Arab citizens. Those voices should be heard. They must be heard. We began with, uh, with the persecution of, uh, of uh, uh, people like me in Israel, and we are ending with persecution of people like me in Germany. And I want to say that again. Uh, the German society, and especially German governments, bear a lot of guilt for the uh, uh, carnage, the criminal monstrous uh, carnage they uh, did in, uh, during the Holocaust. And justly they have the guilt feelings. They must pay for it. But it cannot be at the expense of other peoples. You do not support and you do not express your guilt and you do not pay for that, those crimes by allowing your victims to victimize others. You are going to regret that as well in the future. You have the chance to stop and change it now. And I emphasize for the benefit of Israelis as well. Because it's not a zero-sum game that if the Israel wins, the Palestinians lose, and otherwise, and vice versa. No, it's either a win-win or lose-lose situation. Either both Palestinians and Israelis win or both lose. And this is what I expect the German government, doesn't matter who is in the government, to understand and act upon it. Dr. Afar Kassif, Israeli politician and member of the Knesset, Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, all the best. And thank you for tuning in today. Please don't forget to join our alternative channels on Rumble, Telegram, and a podcast called Podbean. YouTube, which is owned by Google, can shadow ban and censor us at any time. Even though we cannot prove this, our reach has been down significantly since the start of the year. And therefore, we are asking our viewers to join these alternative platforms. The links to these platforms are in the description of this video below. And if you're watching our videos regularly, make sure to donate today. We're an independent, non-profit, small media organization that does not accept any money from corporations or governments. Hence, we only depend on you to continue with our independent journalism and provide you with an alternative perspective. I'm your host, Zed Raza. See you next time.